Hey, it's Holly. Today on Pediatrics Now, I'm bringing you Brand Rounds for free credit. Bone tumors, what to know as a pediatrician. Dr. Cristobal Torres is from Puerto Rico, and that's where she earned her medical degree and completed her residency. Her passion is pediatric oncology. Her older brother is a childhood cancer survivor. Dr. Torres is a third year fellow at UT Health San Antonio. Let's listen in. Some objectives for today's presentation, um, understand bone tumors in pediatric population, um, want to recognize clinical presentation of bone tumors, uh, plan the diagnosis of the most common bone tumors in childhood, and describe treatment and long-term complications for these patients. As an introduction, um, most bone tumors are benign, um, and the true incidence of benign bone tumors is unknown because most are, are um, asymptomatic and are usually discovered as an incidental lesion. Um, primary malignant bone tumors um, are in general uncommon, but they are a significant cause of um, morbidity and mortality, especially in young people. Um, so the primary malignant bone tumors um, represent um, the six most common neoplasm in children um, and in adolescent and young adults they are kind of the third most frequent. In <clears throat> sorry uh, pretty general and I will talk um, more detail about that later the initial workup and staging evaluation for a patient with a suspect uh, primary bone tumor. Um, the diagnostic biopsy, it's the critical component for a good uh, management of the patient. So what red flags are sign of um, concern or what do you want to look uh, when you have a patient um, that complain in your office as a general pediatrician. So typically we see pain that worsen at night, <clears throat> swelling or pain without any related trauma in the area, pain that um, does not respond to traditional pain medicines or anti-inflammatory medicines, and also that does not improve with physical therapy. And, and now talking um, some background um, of uh, epidemiologic uh, background um, for osteosarcoma, approximately the annual incidence rate is between 800, 900 cases per year. And the five-year survival rate for patients with localized disease um, in osteosarcoma can reach between 65 to 70%. And with patients with um, metastatic disease, um, it's between 20 and 30%. Um, for Ewing sarcoma, that it's other common malignant bone, bone sarcoma, um, its incidence accounts for approximately 3% of solid uh, malignant tumors in childhood, and the um, five-year survival rate, um, it's between 60 to 70%. Um, and this 
um, Ewing sarcoma is a pretty aggressive disease. Um, so usually um, patients uh, present um, with metastatic disease in very early, um, I mean, pretty early in the diagnosis. And for patients with metastatic disease and recurrent disease, the prognosis is still poor. Um, I will talk more about some um, data for um, for these um, tumors, and, and this is patient data uh, downloaded for the Surveillance Epidemiology and In Results, SEER project of the, um, and this is um, of the National Cancer Institute. Um, so from 2004 to 2018, all children under 18 um, diagnosed with osteosarcoma and Ewing sarcoma were collected. Um, the SEER database is a cancer data database in the United States and cover about 28% of Americans and contains approximately 18 cancer registries. <clears throat> so they, um, in this article, they, um, they report that the application of the neoadjuvant chemotherapy has increased the survival rate of patients with osteosarcoma. Originally, um, this group of patients was treated along with surgery, and at that time, the survival rate was between 15 and 17 percent. So after that, with um, the chemotherapy, the survival increased approximately to 70 percent. However, um, the survival rate for of patients with osteosarcoma has not improved um, significantly, significantly in the past um, 30 years. Um, and then as the second most common bone tumor in children, um, Ewing sarcoma um, has a lower mortality rate than osteosarcoma, but um, as I mentioned before, metastatic Ewing sarcoma is, is still a fundamental cause um, of harm um, to children's health. Um, this is a highly aggressive cancer and it can metastasize to bone marrow, lungs, and other tissues in early stage of the disease. So um, risk factors for um, these bone tumors, tumor size um, is the most significant influencing factor. Um, I mean, the larger the tumor, the higher the higher the risk, um, staging of the tumor, there is no doubt that distantly metastatic tumors had um, a higher risk of that um, than in localized tumors. The location of the primary tumors, uh, I mean, has also a significant risk factor. Um, we know that tumors in the spine, pelvis, and thorax <clears throat> have a significantly higher risk than tumors in the limbs. Um, and in addition, the children with radical resection of the tumor, the younger the children, um, and, and children with, with Ewing sarcoma had the lowest mortality. Um, so how these patients will present um, Typically, because I mean, we can see a variety of clinical presentations, but 
typically they present um, with um, they come to med uh, to medical attention because um, of localized pain or swelling, um, usually for a few weeks or sometimes for a month um, duration. Um, usually they describe um, trauma, often minor, and this is usually what calls the attention um, from the parents to bring um, to bring um, the child for, for medical attention. Um, and pain and so, uh, the pain associated with malignant tumors um, usually aggravated by exercise and as I mentioned before is often worst um, at night. And sometimes we can um, we can see or palpate as a soft tissue mass on physical exam, but it's this is not always uh, present on the physical exam. So when we um, have um, these soft tissue mass that um, we can see on the physical exam, it's usually firmly um, attached to the bone and it's uh, tender to palpation. So um, when we suspect a bone tumor, the goal of the diagnosis um, is, I mean, we know that we want to establish um, the correct diagnosis as soon as possible, so that way we can offer the patient the correct treatment. Um, so um, we always can start with just a simple x-ray, um, and then we, I mean, we'll go from there. Um, usually, um, primary side x-ray or sometimes MRI. And then um, when we have the suspicion um, for the bone tumor or has, for example, the MRI that it's considering um, the malignancy. So we want to evaluate uh, for metastatic disease. So for uh, on this step, um, we um, we do CT of the chest because um, both osteosarcoma and ewing sarcoma usually metastasis um, to the lungs, and also um, a PET scan so we can um, check for other places in the body for metastasis. Um, so classic radiographic findings um, for uh, for these type of bone sarcomas. Um, sunburns pattern showing extension into soft tissue, and we can see as well the Cotma triangle um, showing elevation of the periosteum, and I will show you later some um, example of the x-rays. So um, not always a bone tumor will be a malignant tumors. Um, so what uh, differential diagnosis we have to think about when we have a bone tumor in general. Um, so differential diagnosis will depend um, of the tissue type and the degree of aggressiveness. Um, tissue types can usually be recognized on imaging um, that um, we can recognize in imaging like bone, cartilage, and fat. 
And usually when we um, recognize fat on the X-ray is usually sign of a benign lesion. So um, osteosarcoma most often is located in the metaphysis of the long bone and usually has um, internal bone formation. Um, the, the tumor formation within the bone um, can be recognized as cloud-like character. Um, and some of the characteristic features um, of the conventional osteosarcoma um, include um, destruction of the normal bone pattern, has indistinct uh, margins, and also lack of endosteal bone response. Um, and the associated soft tissue mass may be ossified in a radial os or um, sunburns pattern. Um, Ewing sarcoma um, is part of the family of um, small round blue cell tumors. Um, and these will have um, a per permeative or mold eaten pattern on the imaging with very poorly defined margins. Um, the tumors um, can be large and frequently involve the diaphysis. Um, one characteristic uh, feature is that um, the periosteal reaction produces layers of reactive bond and that what we see like onion peel appearance. And an Ewing sarcoma can usually present um, with a pathologic fracture, and we can see this um, presentation in about 10 to 15% of the cases. And also um, with Ewing sarcoma, some patients may have uh, signs and symptoms um, similar to osteomyelitis, like um, some of them may have a fever or elevated inflammatory markers. Um, so we may think about um, an infection as well. Um, other um, differential diagnosis for bone tumors, um, chondrosarcoma, but this condition is more common in the middle age and older adults. Um, cartilage can be recognized on imaging um, for this um, type of tumor, um, and most chondrosarcomas arise in, in bone, but some um, have a soft tissue origin as well. Um, other malignant tumors that should be considering the differential diagnosis of um, when we have a lytic lesion include fibrosarcoma, um, metastatic disease, from other tumor or primary lymphoma of the bone. Um, and as well, right, we can think about benign bone tumors. So um, as other uh, tumors that can present athletic lesion um, include hemangioma, <clears throat> various types of cystic tumors, lipomas, eosinophilic granuloma, um, chondroblastoma and giant cell tumor of the bone. Mm -hmm. um, this is a picture to show you 
the common locations of, of bone tumors. Um, usually, chondroblastoma will favor the epiphysis in the uh, skeletally immature patient. Um, round cells lesion will favor the diaphysis, and the majority of the other lesions favor the, meta the metaphysis. Um, so when we um, want to do the diagnosis um, for both osteosarcoma and Ewing sarcoma, the diagnosis follows a similar trajectory. Um, we start with imaging, then we'll determine if the disease is localized or metastatic, and then we need to have the definite diagnosis, and that will be um, with biopsy. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, Ewing sarcoma will frequently appear with evidence of bony destruction in distinct um, margin um, on X-ray. Um, we can also have evidence of cortical destruction and a soft tissue mass. Um, and we can see um, that pattern on onion skinning. Um, osteosarcoma uh, typically will have a mixed appearance on imaging um, and it can um, have a cortical destruction as well. <clears throat> so um, then we want to evaluate if the disease is, is localized or metastatic. So we want to evaluate the rest of the skeleton. Um, so what we usually use, um, it's PET scan, um, can evaluate the entire skeleton for the presence of multiple lesions. We also use sometimes the bone scans, um, but they also, um, limit, li are limited sometimes for the lack of specificity, um, because they can have uh, some false positive due to trauma. Um, I mean, and sometimes the patient recalled or not. Um, so um, actually there is growing consensus right now that, pe that PET scans represent an excellent approach to the um, clinical evaluation of bone metastasis and possible um, the evol for evaluation of a primary bone tumor. Um, and the um, radiographic skeletal surveys are obsolete for this, so we don't use um, these for um, evaluate for extens for um, to see if the disease is metastatic or not to the bones. <clears throat> so what um, indications we have um, for a biopsy, and this is um, general um, concepts. So um, first, um, when we have the suspicions for a bone tumor, we'll start always um, with imaging, and we can start with just a plain x-ray. Um, and then will depend on the clinical history um, of the patient, the physical exam, and the degree of suspicion that we have for that lesion. So um, sometimes, um, I mean, depending on your evaluation, you want to consider a biopsy. Um, so um, 
if the patient, if you have significant doubt to the diagnosis of a benign or malignant lesion, we'll do a biopsy. Um, when we need histologic distinction <clears throat> among possible diagnoses, um, and that we, um, when we need that um, definite diagnosis because um, could alter the plan um, course of treatment. And of course, when we um, want the definite confirmation of the diagnosis. And for biopsy, um, there's uh, different techniques. Um, fine needle um, aspiration biopsy may be adequate for the diagnosis um, of metastatic or recurrent bone lesion. Um, and also core needle biopsy or an open biopsy um, is, I mean, usually required for most primary bone tumor. Um, open biopsies are being done less frequently since more um, core uh, needle biopsy can deliver sufficient tissue on, on multiple passes for all diagnostic studies. So um, usually open biopsy is not um, needed. Um, so this is more to talk about pathologic, <clears throat> pathological diagnosis. Um, so this is um, pretty important from a biopsy for bones and bone sarcomas to plan for proper treatment <clears throat> because the treatment will be different. Um, so uh, pathognomonic finding in osteosarcoma will have on patho um, on pathology pathological diagnosis will have tumor osteoid production. And on Ewing sarcoma, we'll see like small round blue cell tumors. Uh, and um, this is pretty general. So now I will like to discuss separately um, and talk more about the two most common malignant <coughs> bone tumors that we see and is osteosarcoma and Ewing sarcoma. So we'll start with osteosarcoma um, and then Ewing sarcoma. Some general principles, and I will mention here um, some principles that will apply for, um, for osteosarcoma and Ewing sarcoma. Um, so uh, first, osteosarcoma and Ewing sarcoma, as I mentioned, are the two most common cancer of bone in pediatric patients. Um, some cases can be related to environmental factors um, such um, radiation or um, genetic risk, but the majority of the cases um, arise spontaneously. Um, Ewing sarcoma can also present um, as a soft tissue mass um, and Patients um, commonly present with pain or swelling, and that's um, what um, what led to the identification of MS by examination or imaging. Um, both sarcomas require therapy that will include systemic chemotherapy, local control that will be surgery or radiation, and we'll talk, talk more about this as well. Um, the survival decreases dramatically when the disease is metastatic. Um, 
So the most common site for metastasis is the lungs on both on osteosarcoma and Ewing sarcoma. And rarely uh, seen in the youngest group of children between um, age zero to four, um, incidence rises with patient age with the highest rate of diagnosis in adolescents uh, between 15 and 19 years. So um, most cases of bone tumors are sporadic um, and we have some patients that have predisposing genetic factors um, and compared with Ewing sarcoma, osteosarcoma has a variety of associated syndromes that predispose to its development. And some of them include um, germline mutation in tumor suppressor, such as TP53, that this is what we know as Gleifraumeni syndrome, and retinoblastoma. Um, in addition, we have a variety of relatively rare syndromes that all seem to predispose to tumor development um, because of their role in, genom in genomic and DNA stability. Um, but these syndromes are pretty rare in the general population. Um, and we know as well that, um, and this is not a genetic factor, but we know that um, radiation is a well-described risk factor for the later development of osteosarcoma. And in contrast with Ewing sarcoma, um, has no known association with genetic um, syndromes. Um, genetic susceptibility to osteosarcoma has long been recognized in patients or families with the Lee-Fraumeni syndromes or um, hereditary retinoblastoma. We also know that um, patients has increased risk um, in other genetic syndromes that cause defect in the DNA, helicases, and ribosomal proteins. And this is um, pretty similar to the slide before. So um, when um, we want to do a genetic, genetic testing, in a patient. So in the general recommendation for genetic testing is um, we should offer this um, to the uh, when the individual has personal or um, family history suggestive of a genetic cancer susceptibility condition, um, when the test can be adequately interpreted, and this is very important because if we order a test we want to um we want to have the correct interpretation so that way we can deliver the results to the patient and family um, and when the results will aid in the diagnosis or influence the medical or so surgical management of the patient um, and it's recommended that the decision to offer testing to uh, potentially affected children should take into account the availability of evidence-based risk um, uh, reduction strategies and the probability of developing 
a malignancy during childhood. Um, okay, so continue uh, the talk about osteosarcoma. Um, osteosarcoma, uh, the sites of disease um, will be kind of different. Um, osteosarcoma has a higher likelihood of being found in the appendicular skeleton. Um, and interestingly, um, the presentation of osteosarcoma in the extremities <coughs> has a, tend a tendency for a specific localization within the involved tumor, involved bones. Um, lower extremity lesions are more often um, localized um, close to the knee. Um, on, in distal femur or proximal tibia, and lesions in the humerus are more likely to be proximal. And I include here um, some exam, I mean, some examples or um, X-rays, and this is an MRI um, um, with a patient. Uh, that has osteosarcoma of the humerus. This is, I mean, what um, what looks like. And this is as well other X-ray um, of an osteosarcoma of the femur, and we can see the sunburned pattern on the X-ray. Um. So how we'll manage um, these patients? So, um, and this is just an historical um, background. Before the introduction of chemotherapy, um, the treatment for osteosarcoma was surgical resection alone. Um, and the survival rate uh, for these was less than 15%. <laughs> because patients develop metastatic disease. Um, I mean, and the prognosis was pretty low. Um, so this led to systemic chemotherapy. Um, so, um, and then um, was established the efficacy of um, chemotherapy uh, for osteosarcoma and show um, increased survival. Um, so typically, chemotherapy will consist of high-dose methotrexate, doxorubicin, and cisplatin, and this is what we call MAP. Um, and this allowed for limb sparring surgical procedures and assessment of um, histologic response to chemotherapy. Um, and now studies have, have shown that um, greater than 90% of the tumor necrosis at the time of resection is associated with improved outcomes. And then for local control, osteosarcoma is a relatively radio-resistant um, tumor, so surgery is um, the mainstay of, of local control for, for these patients. Um, the most important component is white local excision where uh, both tumor and a normal tissue margin should be removed. Um, typically, surgical options include amputation, um, disarticulation, limb salvage, and there is um, another 
a type of surgery called rotation plasty. And this is to show you um, um, how rotation plasty will look like. So in this procedure, this is pretty interesting procedure. Um, in this procedure, the ankle joint becomes a knee joint uh, by rotating the distal part of the lower leg 180 degree and reattaching to the proximal femur. And then um, a custom prosthesis um, is fit to the rotated leg, um, which, um, which serve as a below the knee prosthesis. Um, this option is pretty attractive for younger patients and those patients who want to remain active in sports because um, typically other prosthesis limit patients to low impact activity. And we have a couple of patients that opt for this option um, for surgery. Um, for recurrent and metastatic osteosarcoma, the treatment remains challenging. Um, metastatectomy of the lungs or bony sites can be curative in about 20% of the patients if disease is isolated to the lungs or to a bone. Um, usually, um, agents that have shown some activity in recurrent osteosarcoma and that are often used um, that include <coughs> iphosphamide, iphosphamide in combination with the toposide, demcitabine, and docetaxel, and as well as tyrosine kinase inhibitors. Um, the prognosis for patient with osteosarcoma um, if patients were, um, has localized disease and is completely resected, um, the survival rates can approach 70%. Sorry, those with unresectable disease or metastatic disease, um, the, I mean, the prognosis is, I mean, is lower. Um, and typically um, rates less than 25%. And unfortunately, despite many attempts to improve survival rates, these outcomes has um, remained unchanged for decades and chemotherapy regimens remains about the same. Okay, so now we'll talk uh, more in details um, about Ewing sarcoma. Um, so, um, location. Um, Ewing sarcoma is more likely present in the axial skeleton um, and um, the potential for Ewing sarcoma to involve the axial structures um, also means that presentation of such tumors may be even more difficult to detect on history and physical exam um, because given the lower likelihood of an easily detected palpable mass on physical exam. Um, again, I include um, an example of an X-ray um, demonstrating bony erosion and a soft tissue mass um, in in the forearm, forearm um, from a patient um, with Ewing sarcoma. And this is to show you. Um, 
and x-ray as well um, demonstrated the Kotma triangle that we can see in Eagle. Um, management, uh, most patients are now treated with um, chemotherapy followed by local control um, and local control for Ewing sarcoma will include surgery or radiotherapy. And then we'll do chemotherapy, I mean, more chemotherapy that we call adjuvant chemotherapy. Um, survival has increased dramatically with this multidisciplinary approach. Um, so uh, for Ewing sarcoma, um, the chemotherapy regimen will include vincristine, doxorubicin, cyclophosphamide, and iphosphamide and etoposide. And um, unfortunately, approximately 25% of the newly diagnosed patients with Ewing sarcoma will present with metastatic disease. Um, and metastatic disease um, will be primarily to the lungs, to the bone, or to the bone marrow. Um, the prognosis for these patients remain uh, poor, unfortunately. Um, and as I mentioned, local control for Ewing it's surgery or radiotherapy. And this is, in I mean, in contrast to osteosarcoma, that it's a radio-resistant um, tumor. So for local control for osteosarcoma, we use surgery. Um, Talking more about management of Ewing sarcoma, uh, for surgery, um, options can include um, lean salvage, um, amputation, um, and um, some patients uh, can opt as well for the procedure mentioned before, the rotation plastic. Um, some um, locations for Ewing sarcoma um, are challenging, for example, the pelvis, um, because um, evidence remains conflicting on whether surgery or radiation or a combination of both, um, what will produce the best outcome for the patients. Um, radiation, um, radiation can be used in um, select patients, um, those with sacral tumors or those where surgery will carry a high morbidity um, as um, some data suggests higher rates of local failure with radiation alone. Um, so um, in Europe, most um, uh, post-operative radiation is used in patients with um, poor, poor histologic response those who has less than 90% of necrosis. Um, recurrent and metastatic Ewing sarcoma. Um, for metastatic disease um, to the lungs, um, usually radiotherapy is typically recommend, um, but um, up to um, 25% of the patients will, um, with initially localized disease will have relapse. So this is a pretty aggressive uh, disease. Um, 
these the number of relapse is even higher for those patients with have metastatic disease at diagnosis. Um, those um, who have isolated local relapse have a better prognosis. Um, the approach for relapse disease typically include um, local control approaches, uh, surgery or radiation therapy um, with systemic um, therapy as well. Um, some strategies that have shown efficacy um, for these include irinotecan and temodar, topotecan and cyclophosphamide, <coughs> ifosfamide, uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitor, or some um, clinical trials. Um, for prognosis for Ewing sarcoma, the most significant prognostic factor is the presence of metastatic disease. Um, patients with metastatic disease um, isolated um, to the lung um, fare better than those with metastatic disease elsewhere. Um, other factors that led to a poor prognosis um, include um, older age at diagnosis, tumor volume, um, multiple um, areas of bone involvement, bone marrow involvement, and tumors located in the axial skeleton. Okay, so um, once we um, have the diagnosis, we treat the patient. Um, the, I mean, chemotherapy has a lot of side effects, um, and there is um, things and and conditions that will um, will persist um, for, I mean, for years, right, in the patient. So. Um, that's what we call late effects of treatment, and this is um, an important part as well um, once the patient finishes treatment. So uh, still, um, those patients need follow-up, uh, still needs to watch for other things. Um, so treatment-related late effects um, will include secondary malignancies, unfortunately, um, cardiac and pulmonary conditions um, that, that it's, I mean, the most common. Um, secondary breast cancer and osteosarcoma um, in the radiation field are the most common uh, secondary uh, malignancies on solid tumors. Um, exposure to alkylating agents such cyclophosphamide and ifosfamide um, and it opposite, um, that increased the risk of secondary leukemia. Um, cardiac conditions are related to anthracyclines, um, doxorubicin exposures, uh, particularly in high uh, cumulative doses. Um, the pathognomonic anthracycline-related cardiac condition is cardiomyopathy, um, leading to progressive cardiac failure. Um, we 
have um, dexa, dexrazoxan. Um, this is a cytoprotective drug that is used um, in co conjunction with, with doxorubicin, and this is to um, try to mitigate um, the cardiomyopathy risk. Um, lung radiation is the prime um, cause uh, agent in chronic lung conditions. Um, some patients can have neurologic conditions such as peripheral and sometimes cranial neuropathies, and this is common after surgery and after exposure to vincristine as well. Um, cisplatin has been associated with autotoxicity and that will present um, with hearing loss um, and or tinnitus in survivor. Um, so lifelong follow-up is needed to screen for um, these conditions and of course for the management of um, these conditions is, I mean, if the patient uh, presents with this. Um, and okay, now to summarize and for conclusion, some key points. Um, most, most cases of pediatric bone cancers are believed um, to spontaneously develop. Uh, relatively rare genetic conditions, um, such lifraumeni, um, can predispose um, to the development of osteosarcoma. Um, bone sarcomas can present with palpable or visible mass um, that may either be painful or painless. Um, it may be recognized as a mass on imaging and that um, will um, acquire the investigation um, for um, more workup as well as a patient can have complaint um, of pain or after an injury. Laboratory tests are not a specific diagnosis utility in bone tumors. Um, we can see sometimes high alkaline phosphatase and LDH, and this is probably because um, they want destructions, but, but honestly, they are not specific markers for diagnosis. Um, evaluation for a suspected bone sarcoma um, will involve um, imaging of the lesion. Um, we want to uh, assess for metastatic disease and then we'll uh, do the biopsy for the pathologic and definite diagnosis. Um, Neoadjuvant chemotherapy followed by local control that will include sur um, surgery um, and then adjuvant chemotherapy with methotrexate, cisplatin, and doxorubicin. Um, this is the standard care for localized osteosarcoma. <clears throat> A standard treatment for localized Ewing sarcoma will include um, chemotherapy with vincristine, doxorubicin, cyclophosphamide, iphosphamide, and etoposide. And it will follow by local control, and in Ewing sarcoma, local control um, will be either radiation or surgery, and then patient will receive adjuvant chemotherapy.
Um, metastatic disease is the most important predictor of prognosis. <clears throat> and very important monitor monitoring for long-term late effects related to chemotherapy and radio radiotherapy is essential. Thanks for listening to that informative Grand Rounds talk. Don't forget to click on the link for free credit. Coming up this Friday, in the Southwest, the extreme heat is relentless, and that of course for many of us means more swimming. Officials say 47 children have drowned so far this year in our state. You'll hear the harrowing story of one couple who started a foundation recommended by the Texas Pediatric Society that provides drowning prevention materials for pediatric clinics. This dad tells the story of losing his son to drowning on one hot, horrible day in June in hopes of saving other children. I'm Holly Wayment, and thanks for listening to Pediatrics Now. Our website is pediatricsnowpodcast.com. See you this Friday.